This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. It's season two, episode two of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I talk to my very good in real life friend, Mel Taylor, about her journey through bringing her daughter home through international adoption. This might be my very favorite episode. I'm so excited for you to hear from and learn from Mel. So enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I'm talking to my friend, Melanie Taylor. Melanie is a biological mom and an adoptive mom of a beautiful little girl who I love from China. Melanie is my first actual real, real friend (laughs) that I've had on the podcast. Everyone else who's been my friend are people that I know through the internet. Mel and I hung out like last week, so she's a good friend. So hi, Mel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. You have been someone that I have wanted listeners to hear from for a while. First of all, because you're awesome and I love you (laughs) and I want everyone to hear that. (laughs) But also because you just have a cool story that God has used to build my faith and to help me trust for my story. And so I'm just excited for people to hear from you. So why don't you start off by telling us just a little bit about how you really felt the call into adoption? Sure. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, we have been in interested in adoption for a long, long time. Uh, we had started the process a few years ago and then we ha- had to put everything on hold because I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 34. So that kind of threw a wrench in our plans. Which that'll come back into the story. In yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version right now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so when we realized that adoption was still a possibility, basically because my health is, um, you know, perfectly healthy now, thank the Lord. I, we really started delving into, um, whether we should do foster care or international adoption. And so my husband and I both felt drawn to adopt from China because I had been there a few years ago and I just really felt a connection to the Chinese culture and the orphan situation there. So that is kind of what drew us to it. We wanted to increase our family um, anyway. And after my cancer diagnosis, that wasn't a possibility for me naturally. So adoption was the next, next option for us. So was Joe totally on board the whole time? No, I, I would I say no. Remember the missions conference. Yeah. Where we had a speaker there who was, um, he rescues girls out of trafficking. It's just the yes. most devastating, beautiful story. And I feel like that was like a turning point for him. It was, it was. Um, I'm kind of the impulsive, like <laughs> gas pedal pusher in my family. And Joe, we were just talking about this today. He and I, he's really like, he pulls the reins a little bit, which I need. And so uh, many, you know, a few years ago, I should say a few, seven years ago when we were starting the adoption process, he really pushed, pulled the reins on that. And I ended up getting pregnant with our daughter, Lorelai. So obviously God knew what was, what was going to happen. Right. And then when we started the process again, um, a few, just a few years ago, 
he was, he really kind of felt called to fostering until that missions conference and hearing from that speaker about the needs and the, the women in these more, you know, in more impoverished cultures really pulled his heartstrings. And God did like a work in him that weekend that I was, had been praying for, but wasn't expecting. Mm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about everything that happened with Everly's file, because I remember talking with you and I've said this to you before, and I know nothing about international adoption really, but I do know the foster care system. And I remember talking to you and just thinking, there's no way that this will ever work out the way that she thinks it is. This is an impossible situation that there is no way it's going to work. So it's cool for me because I see like God put this on your heart and then God planned your family, but share that a little bit. Sure. Um, we were connected with a gal who works in China a few months a year, and she had told us about Everly, uh, because she knew our family was interested in building through adoption. So we, we started thinking, okay, maybe let's adopt through China. I contacted her and we kind of started this little private investigation scenario where we were (laughs) trying to figure out what agency had her file. Um, and it, it took a little while to figure it out. And what happened was many of the children that are in homes in China already have a file created, which means they're legally free to be adopted. And they're just kind of waiting for the next family to be requesting someone within their parameter. So Everly did not have a file um, for whatever reason, we don't know. And so we had to do a lot of pushing and our, and our adoption agency, our amazing adoption agency really went to bat for us. Okay. So tell me for anyone listening who is looking to adopt from China, tell me about your adoption agency. So we went through Madison adoption agency. They're based in Delaware and they, um, they're a smaller organization, but they have such a heart for placing children in families anytime they can. And so when we said there's a little girl, we know about her, we know she has some health issues, we want to adopt her. They were like, well, we can't promise you that's going to work out because you're going to start the process and you might be done before her file is complete. Right. So if that's the case, you know, you can maybe wait until her file is completed or we can, you know, connect you with a different child that meets your parameters. And, but if she, if her file is completed before yours is, then she would really go to the next family that wants a little girl in this age range. So we were just hoping. And I said to my husband time and again, like, even if we don't get her, then she's not meant to be our daughter, but we're helping her get to a family, to her family. Like we just had so much faith and peace that it wasn't in our hands. Because she was fileless, meaning that no one was going to be able to adopt her. Nobody could have adopted her. She was already four years old and she had a diagnosis of epilepsy. Um, She had had a few other surgeries, cleft palate, lip surgeries, and she was just kind of sitting in, she was sitting in a wonderful home, an American run organization, and they are huge advocates and really try to get their children adopted out. So I knew it would, it would have worked in her favor regardless because we were pushing Mm -hmm. for her to get a file at all. Yeah. Just the, the advocacy that you did on her behalf. And I do remember that being like, okay, yes, this is good for her benefit. Even if I feel like I'm going to have to watch you walk through heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. 
But of course, God knew better than I did and totally led you on this path because it feels like an impossible kind of path. But what he did was amazing. Absolutely. So you just um, mentioned her epilepsy diagnosis. And again, the way you even walk through that, I was like, well, what does it look like? What is she on? What does she need to be on? And you were like, we don't know, but we know that she is supposed to be our daughter and we have faith for that. And so what did it look like for you to bring home a child with special medical needs that you had a pretty limited understanding of what those needs were actually going to be and how it was going to play out? Um, and then take us through the rest of her health journey. Sure. So we were, I would say, really completely unprepared, um, <laughs> as I think many families that adopt internationally are. Many right. times their files are not accurate. They're not, they're misdiagnosed. Um, the medical system there is not amazing, as, even though they do as much as they possibly can. So we were told she had a diagnosis of epilepsy and we were told that she had maybe one to two seizures a week. Well, and I remember the girl that you knew that was there said that she had never seen one before. So yeah. I was kind of like, oh, it's rare. It never happens. Yeah. Or it's medically controlled, things like that. Right, right. So, you know, while we're at the orphanage picking her up, I'm getting like a crash course in emergency, you know, rectal medication oh, application for oh, seizures like what on earth thinking I won't have to use these and then really like probably the next day or two seeing her have these seizures that we were completely unprepared for and just being so on I mean China is is it's such a, a blur anyway you're exhausted you're emotionally charged and just saying to Joe like I'm living on this edge of adrenaline. We're either coming off a seizure or we're mm. awaiting the next one. And, and what does that look like taking her out of the hotels and traveling? And we were trying to keep track of the time of day. Like what is bringing it on? Is it tiredness? Is it specific foods? Like having really no information. And I was texting with her nurse the entire time we were in China. Is this normal? Is this normal? And so, you know, just bringing her home and realizing like we just need to get her into her home environment, get her into a good routine, and then get her to the best doctors to figure out what's going on. And Which luckily, right outside have, of Philly, we absolutely. have access to that. Right, absolutely. So, um, you know, we got her home, we brought her to an international adoption clinic, we brought her to uh, neurologists and cleft team and everything just to try to get everything squared away. So we got home in December and we just lined up all these appointments. And then in April, we took her in for an MRI. We had had an EEG for her. She was having much more seizure activity than we even knew about because she was mm -hmm. having numerous um, silent seizures throughout the day, even in her sleep as well. So we, we, the doctors ordered an MRI and um, she had an MRI in April and the doctor basically called me while we were still waiting for her to come out of her anesthesia and said, your daughter has a large brain tumor. And we were just, I was, I was by myself in CHOP, like oh gosh, at the hospital that. waiting. I had, I knew I had to drive home. It was like five o'clock on a Friday and I got lost on the way home because I was beside myself, like calling my mom and calling Joe. And I was just like, what on earth? So it kind of changed our whole direction. We had to figure out what, what's next. So, so 
I remember when you told me that (laughs) standing in church and telling myself over and over, this is not about you. This is not about you. Because I wanted to collapse into your arms (laughs) in emotion. I, so tell, I mean, tell us where it went. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, once we got everything under, under control diagnosis wise, uh, we started just a snowball of appointments and specialists and, you know, we're not, we're not new to the medical system. I had breast cancer at 34 years old. I was blindsided uh, by that diagnosis and we we're not new to oncology. We're not new to chemotherapy. We're not new to radiation. Like we, we were prepared, like God knew, okay, you, I have to put this little girl in a family that is going to be, that is not going to be afraid of hospital visit after hospital visit after hospital visit. So, and you know what, you said that to me, but to me, that was like a, to you, it made sense. Like, okay, God placed her here because we can do this and we know how to do it. And we have faith for cancer and all that to me. All I could think is this isn't fair. I am not a typical like God, like anger at God kind of I, like that's not where I typically go. And I I just thought this isn't right, God. This isn't what you should have done because Mel already went through this. She already fought this. She should never have to deal with this again. So the fact that you went there is just grace upon grace upon, because I think that to you, it's like, oh, logical. Yeah. We know how to do this. Whereas I don't think anyone else looked at you and thought like, oh, great. She was prepared for this. Everyone looked at you and thought, oh my goodness, this is so unfair. And it was really God's mercy that he brought you to that perspective of seeing him in it and seeing this was God's perfect plan. He, he planned for her to be in our family. So I just got to stop and point out grace because that was grace. Absolutely. It was. And, you know, he was so, he, he gave me so much grace when I was sick too, and just kept reminding me over and over, like, I, I have to use my people. Like I have to, I'm not going to shine my light on any situation through an unbeliever. So like, I have to allow these hard things because you like, I have to show through so your cracks. Good. Yes, absolutely. And that is just slaps in the face, any sort of prosperity gospel of like, as believers, we deserve better than pain and suffering. Like, no, that is how God shows his glory through us mm-hmm. and, and shows the world what it looks like to suffer and love Jesus through it and trust a, a perfect heavenly father through it. I love that. That was, that was really profound. Continue, be <laughs> profound. <laughs> Um, you know, and so I just, Joe and I just kept saying to ourselves, like, she would have died. Oh yeah. She would yep. have died. A hundred percent. They had no idea that she had yep. the brain tumor. And, um, and so we just felt like what a miracle. Mm. Yeah. Now we're dealing with this hard road. And I did definitely like, don't think I didn't question because I remember sitting in my like women's group crying and saying like, why do I have to go through this again? Like that, you know, this isn't fair, but like just waking up the next day being like, you're not hearing from the Lord. Like you're not doing this alone. You know, like I'm going to be with you and you're going to see my hand in this because you saw my hand in it every other time before. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. 
You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guests. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. All right. Well, I'm glad that you are sort of revealing your weakness in it. I Let's talk about, because I know you and your openness with your story and your emotions and all, let's talk about depression yeah. after adoption. Yeah. Okay. So that's another thing that your adoption agency works very hard to prepare you for. They require you to do a lot of online trainings. You have to, our adoption agency, I think most of them do, but require you to do like book reports and be kind of, you know, as prepared as possible. I was a part of a lot of adoption, international adoption and China adoption Facebook groups. So I knew that it was a possibility that post-adoption depression was a thing. But of course, like every mom, that won't happen to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just assume like my children won't eat chicken nuggets three times a week. <laughs> so um, I really wasn't prepared for how it was going to manifest or what it was going to look like. So you come off the high of this two-week trip to China, a ball of emotions. And we came home December 1st, and my husband retired from the Air Force two weeks later We had family in for that, family in for Christmas, and December was just this avalanche of crazy town. And so January hits, and we're going into like normal family mode. And I just, I felt this like heaviness consistently about, there's so many layers to post-adoption depression. The best way that I describe it to people is that it's like, it's just layers of emotion. You feel guilt for the fact that your child was not loved for Uh, years. uh You feel guilt for their undiagnosed medical issues. You feel guilt for your other children that Mm. you are now focusing so much attention on this new child. Well, and you know what we didn't hit at is your sweet girl was in pain because she was miserable. She was. She, She was overwhelming because of how sad she was. And we know now, you know, I kept saying it's trauma and it's this. She was in pain because mm-hmm. she's not miserable anymore. No, she's not. She's such a joy now. And you would, you would look at her now a year later and think that's a different child because she exactly really is a different child. And so, you know, you just feel, you feel all this guilt about your child's background. You feel guilt about your other children's feelings and the way they're feeling pushed out. And, you know, my middle son, who's very attuned to my emotions, he said to me, mom, he's, he's eight. He was seven at the time. He's he my mom. future son-in-law. Yeah. He's so sweet. He said, mom, I popped out of the family and my heart just broke for him because I'm like, baby, you're still a middle, you know? I mean, but he just, he couldn't find his place. And it really made me aware that like, okay, I need to do something and I need to be more aware of their needs and take them one-on-one more, you know, as, as we can. So it was a gift that he was able to even vocalize that oh, yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you have all these layers of guilt and then you feel these layers of shame because mm-hmm. you're looking at this child, this helpless child that you worked so hard to get that people helped you with fundraising and, and prayer and events. And you're like, 
I should love you, but you are a stranger to me. Mm. And I don't know how to do that. And you always, I've always considered myself like a relatively loving person and a loving mom and loving my biological children was never a struggle, even when I dealt with a little bit of postpartum depression. But when you're looking at this child and you're looking at this, I mean, there were literally days that I looked at her and I felt like I just kidnapped you. Mm. Like you just, there's no way to explain the feeling that you have. And, and there's so many irrational feelings. And then there are so many true feelings that you just have to like feel them. You just have to yes. allow yourself to feel them. Yep. Yeah. I, I've been saying this a, a lot recently with adoption from foster care too. There was such a beautiful movement for a long time of normalizing adoption. And I think what it did was create this dreamlike picture. So there's no difference and they're your children and it's happily ever after. And it's the beautiful and all of that is true, but it's not the only thing that's true. And so I think that we have, we have a little bit of a pendulum swing going on now in adoptive communities of, yes, let's celebrate adoption. Yes. We love these children deeply as if they're our own. And, but let's not just gloss over everything. Let's not just pretend that there's no struggle, that there's no trauma for their kids, that there aren't different things that we struggle through and actually be in those emotions and be in the struggle of all those things and just be real about it. We can still deeply, passionately love our adopted children and be connected to them forever as their forever parents. And struggle through ugly emotions and thoughts and it's not one or the other and i i just love everything that you just said because i i can picture a mom listening to this and crying in oh my gosh she just said what i didn't think anyone felt and what i felt like i could never admit and i feel like it's going to be such a freeing thing for another mom to hear you share that so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been freeing for me. There's a, um, there's a post-adoption depression Facebook page that I'm a part of. Okay, I'll run, link to it. Yeah, I'll give you the link. Um, yep. But it's run by this amazing mom and people go on there and they think they are so alone and they'll mm. post something and people are so... Um, the, the admin, she doesn't take crap. Like she is like, people are going to be warm and sensitive to all of these people's feelings, because I guarantee not a single person has ever felt something that nobody else has felt. Yeah. So good. Yeah. There it's all common to man. And one of the great lies of the devil and of our hearts is no one else struggles with this. No one else is in this place. I am the worst of everyone. And the shame that comes from it. I love that you use that word shame. I also have, you know, when I, when I share with foster and adoptive parents, sometimes I'm like, you're living the dream. This is what you saved for and prayed for and waited for and traveled. And so all of a sudden you're in the dream and you're like, this is the dream. This is all that crying tears and everyone like, this is it. Like this sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. that, that letdown for something that you're, is so anticipated and you feel called to and all that, it's not a normal kind of letdown. It's a, oh my goodness. Now this is just life. Now this isn't the dream anymore. This is just life. Mm -hmm. 
It's oh. true. And, and then, you know, for me too, I felt a, another layer of guilt because I'm like, Lord, how can I, how can I feel so bad about this thing that you clearly had such a huge hand in and this child who you brought home so she wouldn't die in an orphanage and I'm struggling to love her. And, and, you know, especially when you, when you adopt a child who has like undiagnosed health issues, you can't just go on and like figure out like, okay, what is our normal life going to look like? Right. Because right. there's so many variables that you have to throw in there, you know, hospital stays and surgeries and medications and, you know, and I don't, I honestly don't know how I would have done it if Joe, my husband had, had to go back to work. I mean, when we mm-hmm. left for China, he was home and he's been able to take a year off and just help because juggling three kids and a daughter with multiple medical issues is it, it's and it, chemo it's once a week and yeah it's an immense undertaking and so for him to be home and to be present and to be so helpful and so supportive emotionally and physically and sharing the responsibility of having a sick child is has been one of my life rafts. Absolutely. And that's another one of those things where you just, I mean, so often we have to trust that God's hand is in things and we don't know why, but you can see, like you said before, you know, cancer, how many, how many families have two parents at home to tackle this? It was another one of just God being merciful and perfectly planning this. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to switch gears. Let's talk about you. I want to know what you're doing, eating, watching, reading, and listening to. So let's start with what you're doing. I'm currently working on a website with a friend of mine um, for moms. Yay. So I'll keep you in the loop about that. But we're just in our very, very baby stages. But we know life gets a little crazy. And sometimes moms like us need a little help with that. Awesome. That's great. I love it. All right. What about eating? Christmas cookies. (laughs) (laughs) We've been baking up a storm here already. My other kids, my older kids love baking. Everly loves baking too, but she just likes to sit in her high chair and eat chocolate chips. Yeah, right. um, We've been baking up a storm so far. Okay. Please share. I will. (laughs) I'm getting my tonsils out on Friday. Oh, no. So I'm not going to be eating for like, I mean, some people are saying up to two weeks that you just can barely. So I'm trying to get the good stuff in now. Like today I was like, I should go out for sushi before I get this done so I can get something good in. Or Indian. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it. All right. What are you watching? We are watching Hometown. Have you ever seen that? No. What is it? It's, um... It's this adorable couple in Laurel, Mississippi, who renovate homes. They're kind of like Chip and Joe Gaines. Okay, okay. So I don't know. I just love it. It's fun. Who's we? You and Joe watch it together. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I haven't heard it. You know what though? I've I've never even watched the game. Like I don't watch HGTV kind of shows ever. Even though I like reality shows, so I'd probably be good with it. But all right, they cool. renovate. They renovate like old historic homes, and I love that. Cool. All right. What are you reading? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, nothing recently. I feel like I haven't picked up a book in a long while. Um, I feel that way too. And I'm like a self-proclaimed reader. 
-hmm. Like it's part of my identity as a person. And it is something that when people used to say to me, I don't have time to read, I'd be like, you have time for whatever you make time for. And, but (laughs) now reading, like, I literally don't feel like I have time for it. Yeah, I know. And it it makes me sad because I do love to read. And I have a huge stack of books on my bedside table. I think the last book I actually read the whole thing, it was um, Katie Davis Majors was Daring to Hope. Yeah. You know what? I still haven't read that. And I really like her and I've had 20 people tell me to read it. I definitely, yeah, that's a good one. I'll share that with everyone. And and I do love World War II. I do love World War II fiction. So when I do read, I like that genre. Okay, cool. All right. And what are you listening to? Self, uh, not self-help, motivational podcasts. Really? (laughs) Yes. Like who? What do you listen to? Well, more businessy minded ones. So like, I like Brendan Burchard. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I've said this before, but I'm not a podcast listener. <laughs> I like them when I'm driving, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, we my kids my kids just do not let do your kids let you get away with it? They don't talk at you? If I put a movie on in the van, I can listen to oh, whatever I want. That's yeah. True. And we do that if we're going long distances. We don't I don't not around town. Oh, you know why I haven't been listening to podcasts lately? Because um I downloaded Marco Polo, the Marco Polo app. Do you have that? One of my, one of my foster kids' moms yeah. had me download it. Why? What do you like watch? I don't, I just talk to my friends. Like I talk to so many <laughs> friends on it. And so I just, yeah. all day long, I'm like watching their stories and then talking back to them. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. She's the only person that I communicate with. And it's funny. Cause I like, I was like, oh, I, this isn't a thing. I've never even heard of it until she told yeah. me, she's like, you have to download it because I keep trying to send you messages. Well, when I downloaded it, I realized like half of my friends list use it. And then, so my two best friends from Belgium, one lives in Texas and one lives in North Carolina. So we have a three-way like conversation that we do all day long. We're chatting with each other. So that's kind of cut down my podcast time. Cool. Well, this has been great to talk. I honestly, I think this might be my favorite ever. Maybe it's just because you're my favorite, (laughs) but I, this was really, I feel like it's going to build so many moms faith for the hardness of adoption. And I think that, that that is so important because it's important that we call it beautiful and that we keep it in this really sacred space and but then it's also important that we're just real and we're all about it so that others don't feel alone. So thank you so much for your openness and just being raw and your trust in God has been a beautiful picture for me to watch for so long. And so I'm so happy for other people to hear it now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening.